0: You're listening to the Raising Them Ready podcast for parents. Here, we encourage and support parents who are doing the best they know how to raise their kids to become confident, capable, and kind in an ever-changing and often unpredictable world. I'm Jonathan Katherman. I'm a family man, sociologist, and best-selling author who believes our children's greatness tomorrow begins with some good guidance today. A few weeks back, I received an email from a parent asking when I was planning to dedicate an episode of the Raising Them Ready podcast to the topic of bullying. It was actually more like a request to hurry up and get a guest expert on the podcast who could actually help parents grapple with ways to protect their children from such a pervasive issue in our society today. Seems like we're hearing the word bully used way too often in our schools, on social media, and if we're being really honest, in a lot of homes dealing with a constant bickering of sibling rivalry. The mere thought of our kids experiencing physical or emotional aggression forced upon them by another person is distressing. As parents, we worry about the lasting impact on our child's self-esteem, their physical and social well-being. So if you're seeking solutions that strengthen your child's emotional resilience and their empathy for others enough to alleviate some of your worries about bullying, this episode is for you. I've invited Dr. Brooks Gibbs to the podcast. He's an award-winning resilience educator who teaches kids, parents, and teachers how to stop unwanted aggression. Dr. Gibb's dedication to teach the social-emotional skills needed to regulate our emotions and actions has allowed him to speak before more than 2 million students face-to-face, while his viral videos have amassed more than 300 million views online. In brief, he specializes in teaching youth how to be emotionally resilient and live by the golden rule. So welcome to an empowering conversation about raising confident, capable and kind kids who are emotionally strong because they know why and how to stop squabbling from escalating into bullying. Dr. Brooks Gibbs, thanks for joining us today. Thanks. If you don't mind, I'd like to start things off by asking you a question about how is it you gained a reputation as a leading authority in the topic of bullying? I
1: mean, that's quite a charge. Well, I think the success of my work is largely due to the uh, approach I take to addressing the topic of bullying. Most people basically say, we have to raise awareness. We have to talk about it. We need to remove the stigma of people saying they've been bullied or whatever, you know, the blah, blah, blah stuff. Other people might say, we got to make everyone nice and we have to punish mean people and we, we need to have zero tolerance for jerk behavior. Uh, okay, whatever. Um, and then I come in and and I basically say, Hey, you know what? Uh, you don't have to be offended when people are mean to you, you could actually be glad they're mean. Cause like a boxer needs a good sparring partner. We need jerks in our life to get better at dealing with difficult people, which are a fact of life. And so I teach people how to guard their heart, how to protect their emotions, how to respond to people who are difficult to be around how to apologize when someone seems hurt, how to take and make a joke about yourself when someone seems to make fun of you, how to uh, not be dominated by a provocateur who's trying to evoke out of you a negative reaction, how to be totally unfazed, or maybe even how to take a criticism, especially if it helps you improve. And so I teach practical social skills as it relates to aggressions that most people call bullying. And it just makes sense to people. Of course, I have to always give credit where credit is due. I learned most of what I teach from uh, Izzy Kalman, a school psychologist, um, and he was an incredible mentor to me to help orient myself to the topic and demonstrate how resilience education is the best solution to bullying prevention.
0: I run into parents regularly who are confused about what bullying is versus what it isn't because it's a very, very easy word to use. Our kids are using it all the time. They'll stop bullying me. They'll say that in jest and fun Yet they to also say it through tears when they don't want to get back on the bus because there's a bully on the bus. So clarify for us real quick, what is a bully in today's context? And then let's actually go back because I know you've got some really interesting history of where bullying came from.
1: What administrators say a bully or bullying behavior is, is different than what a parent or a student would say. What bullying is a, um, parent or student would basically say any unwanted behavior any unwanted behavior that's the best possible definition for bullying you're being mean to a, me you're bully yeah yeah i don't like i don't like how you're treating me and so i want you to stop and uh if you don't stop you're you're bullying me stop it well that is not in harmony with the literature literature being the legal definition and also the the psychological definition that's in the uh, clinical material, uh, written primarily by, uh, Dr. Dan Oveas and Susan Limber, uh, from the Oveas, uh, bullying prevention program. And they say there's three criteria that need to be, uh, present to label something bullying. Number one, there needs to be intent to do harm. So the aggressor needs to have the intent to hurt you. Uh, number two, there has to be an imbalance of power which means a psychological power, not size wise, but a coercive ability to, to provoke you to have more power, uh, psychologically over you where you are inferior and then number three, there needs it to be a pervasiveness or repeated over time, pretty much every state there's rubrics that you essentially have to go down the list and say for a school to call something bullying. There has to be intent to do harm, imbalance of power and repetition over time. And if it stops at one of those three, you cannot call it bullying. And they don't give you, uh, you know, what to call it. They just say it's not bullying. And so this has been the source of extreme frustration as, um, both the formal, the formal definition of bullying has both, uh, approaches to the, uh, word. It, it has a part one, which is the formal three part intended to harm and balance of power repeated over time, but also has the informal part two of the definition. It says it could include direct or indirect verbal or nonverbal and pretty much any unwanted behavior. And so once it goes to the court, this is a problem. You know, they, the school is saying bullying never occurred because there wasn't pervasiveness. This was a one and done deal. Or a school can say bullying never occurred because we have no psychological instrument to measure the psychological power of all parties involved. Therefore, we cannot objectively say there was an imbalance of power and we cannot legally say this was bullying because there's no uh, no instrument. Or they could say uh, this child was not intending to do harm. They are comedians. They don't know the, you know, the limits of their jokes. They weren't trying to hurt. they were trying to make someone laugh or the kid was actually feeling like a victim and was retaliating because your child was actually the bully or the perpetrator. It's just a complete freaking hot mess. The reason why we cannot solve the bullying problem is the word bully. And basically what it is from a sociological perspective is what we call dominance behavior. You know, it's, you see it in the animal kingdom. People, there's a pecking order. Um, there, there is like true bullying or what we try to identify as bullying is nothing more than leadership. It could be leadership in an ineffective, hurtful way using carrot or stick, which are coercive techniques to incentivize or threaten the people you're trying to have dominance over. Or you could have an effective leadership strategy, which is service and competency. Be really good at what you do and help others be really good at what they do. So it's poor leadership from a sociological perspective. And, and it's, it's embedded in our nature. We don't like to be on the low end of the social spectrum. We like to be on the high end of the social spectrum. And so one of the things that we do is jockey for hierarchical positions of authority over others. We don't like to be dominated. We like to dominate.
0: Would it be beneficial when we, when we are using the language... Uh, and our kids are coming to us and say, hey, I'm being bullied at school to to kind of rephrase that, to kind of deconstruct their meaning. And, and instead are are you ask them, Are you do you feel like you're being intimidated? Do you feel like you're being picked on? Do you feel like you're in a disagreement? What what's part of our well way a parent can deconstruct the word bullying when the, the word doesn't hold the the value yeah. that we think it does?
1: Well, the first thing you do is you never allow it to be used. It's like going to a cop and saying, I've been abused. The cop is going to not let you use that type of terminology because it means everything and nothing. So it's the most unhelpful thing you could say. What he's going to reply is what a parent should reply. What happened? Tell me more. What happened? Yeah. Yeah. And there's only four things that could have happened. And, And these are good things to teach kids. This is what I teach kids. They say something to you. They do something to you. They say something about you or they do something without you. Those are the four categories of aggression. I call the meanness matrix. So I say, what happened? And if they said something to you, (laughs) a kid says, I've been bullied. A parent should reply, what happened? And the kid says, they called me an idiot. And the parent says, do you believe it? Well, if you don't believe it, good. Who cares what he says? If you do believe it and you're an idiot, stop being stupid. Like, what are you doing? That could be a really good criticism. There's no proverb that says, faith for the wounds of a friend. Sometimes friends will tell you tough stuff. So listen to what they're saying. Is there any truth in it? Do you believe it? So we could, what happens when you mention what happened instead of calling it bullying is you keep it in its proper size and you get to the root of, of what, what happened. If they tripped you, are you hurt? If they said something to you, do you believe it? If they said something about you to other people, is it true? And if they do something without you, heck, what else can you do? So my goal as a parent is to help minimize the importance of the offense. And I do that by keeping it in its proper size because once you call it bullying, you have just over-exaggerated the offense and you've used a legal term that really triggers a lot of grownups and it's not going to help you.
0: So by using the word bullying, you're taking it to its furthest extent and you're saying, bring it back down to where we are. We can actually measure this.
1: And worse than that. So yes, it's a, it's a distorted interpretation of reality. Worse than that though, it is an assault. It is a verbal assault on the person that you perceive as your enemy. When you call people a bully, you're calling them a name, which is what we say we are against. Mm. So you're Mm. actually globally rating or labeling someone, which is a violation of the golden rule. And if you talk to that person and you say, why are you bullying them? They perceive you view them as a bully because many times that's what we call them. Stop being a bully. I'm not a bully. Well, then why did you say that to her? Why did you do that to him? Because she said this to me and he did that to me. The vast majority of kids that we are calling bullies never identify as a bully. They actually identify as a victim and their behavior they believe is justified because it's retaliatory. They are doing it in a knee jerk reaction because they feel wounded by your child. And they actually believe your child is the bully.
0: Hmm. I can hear some parents. I can hear their brains grinding away going, wait a minute, my child's not a bully. My child is gentle. My child is kind. My child is crying when they come home because somebody said something about them. Something did something to them. They said something about them when they weren't there or they did something without them and they wanted to be there. So the interpretation of the the behavior is what we really need to boil it down to. So I, I like that, that parents, if you're frustrated right now, say, well, wait a minute, I know my child and that's not my kid. I think this is some really great tools. Let's boil it back down to what it, what is the actual offense. Is it something they said or something that was done to them?
1: And why is your child offended? So what someone said something to them? So what someone did something without them? So what people are talking crap about your child behind their back? So what they pushed and shoved them As long as there's no pain, there should be no problem. Listen, this is what I always say, and it's a mind screw for so many people. But the enemy in your child's life is not the enemy. The real enemy is your child's offendability. I used to tell my
0: boys, be more influential than you are easily influenced.
1: And that
0: means you get control of your own emotions in the situation. I'm a big, tall guy. And if someone were to walk up to me and say, look how short you are. I know for a fact I'm not short. You know, I don't. I rarely see anybody who's actually taller than me. I could take offense because they called me little, but the truth of the matter is I'm not. In our family, we have a phrase: "You're strong, brave, and of great courage." And if you believe these things about yourself, and you have proof that this is part of who you are—that's self-efficacy. I have I have high levels of self-esteem, but I can back it up with with evidence. So actually, it's high levels of self-efficacy. Then somebody can say about anything they want. And it's not going to be offensive
1: but what happens when it's true though i worked with a kid named quaden who had dwarfism he's from australia and uh, some girls walked over to him and patted him on the head and said uh you're so cute and he got offended by that because they have he has a rigid demand that he must not be short and that people must not point out his seemingly inadequacies and uh, he wanted to kill himself And it was just the straw that broke the camel's back. He's lived his entire childhood different. And so I worked with him. I helped him realize, yes, of course, people are going to point out your difference. Of course, people are not going to pick you for the team because you're not as good as the other players. Of course, people are going to exclude you on certain activities because your disability will uh, somehow hinder their fun. Like this is a harsh reality. And while I wish it wasn't that way, you continue to disturb yourself every time you demand that the harsh reality is different. I'd rather you just recognize this is a part of my life. And I'm going to leverage this harsh reality for my own psychological growth. I'll learn to do something different. I'll learn how to uh, say thank you when people recognize my dwarfism. I'll recognize the benefits as well of my short stature Uh, I'm Aboriginal, I have dwarfism that makes me unique. Now, Quaidan, you could Google him and my work with him. He's a famous actor. He went from a kid who was suicidal and mom was completely at her wits end. and through simply helping him, you know, stop demanding other people change and change your perception or your perspective or your evaluations or interpretations of what happens and appreciate who you are and how you are, even if it's flawed. Well, then all the emotions dissipate and, wow, motivation for life starts to happen. It's a beautiful switch when a kid can cure themselves of their victim mindset, which is ultimately curing themselves of their offendability.
0: And there's no flaw in being short or tall or large or skinny or having a stutter or being non-athletic. Like there's no flaw in any of those aspects it's when we attribute that as a flaw and then take offense to when somebody else is a sane and I, I would agree with you.
1: It's, you know, I, I would say it's like, it's like people who say, it's not disability. It's a different ability. I'm like bullcrap. It is a disability bullcrap. It is an absolute disability. You are not able to do something, therefore it is by definition a disability. My wife is quadriplegic. I've been married to her for 23 years. She's a prisoner in her own own body. She's bound to a wheelchair. It is a disability. I love my wife and my wife loves me. And she has learned to love her disability. There's down days, there's frustration days, but it has its perks. We get great parking, we get the front of roller coasters. She's a built-in stroller for all our kids and our groceries. I mean, you just learn to just accept the flaws, accept the disabilities, and realize that it's actually to your advantage. Suffering is actually an advantage if you can learn to squeeze the most value out of it. And we pity people who are able-bodied and flawless. We pity them. Why? Because there's no growth challenges. How do we teach a 12-year-old that? Well, first of all, you um, demonstrate it. Modeling is the most powerful form of education. And so you demonstrate a resilient disposition. You, It becomes the ethos of the home. Second of all, you reward resilience when you see it. You don't reward achievement. <clears throat> you reward resilience. So for example, my son, uh, when he was nine years old, he says, I'm so excited about camp, dad. I said, why are you so excited? He says, I hope someone bullies me. I said, well, you know, we don't use that word in our household. Why would you say that? He says, I want to practice my skills. I said, i tell you what, I hope they do pick on you. I hope they call you a name and push you around or tell your secrets to the new kid in town. I hope they leave you out with no friend to be found. I hope they do. And if you, if you don't get upset by their mean behavior, I'm going to give you a dollar. And if you don't get upset and you are nice to them and you convert them from an enemy to like someone who's more friendly, I'll give you five. The only condition is that you can't provoke their mean behavior. They have to be spontaneously, naturally nasty to you. And I want you to keep track. He made $43 that week at camp. And so when you reward something, you'll get more of it. When you reward resilience, it means you're going to go through hardship with a good attitude. When you relate resilience to social related emotional problems, someone calling you a name, someone doing something to you, leaving you out of a group or, you know, talking bad about you behind your back, you can, with scalpel accuracy, target the area where they are weak and say, I will give you that thing if you earn it through demonstrating emotional resilience. There's, so that's, that's one of many ways to help a 12 year old, which this kid actually was uh, 11 that I helped qu- Quaidan. Now he's 13 and he's rich and famous. Um, yeah, you can teach a 12-year-old these things.
0: Now, it's also important to understand that there is no resilience without resistance. Um, I have a right. son who's a, who's a bit of a gym rat, and he has not gotten his, his Greek god physique because he went to the gym and did easy things. We don't learn new information uh, by sleeping on the book. You have to get in and study, and it can be difficult. And parents, if your kids are going to build resilience, there has to be a level of resistance that they're coming up against in order to do that. How they recover is what makes them resilient. And, and I like to believe that resilient kids don't just bounce back, they actually bounce a little bit forward also. Yeah. So learning to manage the uh, way we interact with people, no matter how they treat us, and I like that you've used the context of the golden rule, we treat them as we would like to be treated. And the, have you ever heard the Platinum Rule?
1: It's embedded in the Golden Rule for people who think an inch deeper. But the Platinum Rule states, "I'm going to treat others the way they want to be yeah, treated." As
0: long as it's in kindness. Uh, but
1: truly, that's how, yeah, and that—that's how you would want to be treated. You want pe- you would want people to consider how you would want to be treated. And so, if that's true, then the Platinum Rule is embedded in the Golden Rule. It's just another dimension of it.
0: Let's let's talk a little bit about the history of the word bullying, because I don't think many parents know where it came from. If I understand correctly, there would have been a time where we would have called somebody a BBF, my best bully forever, right? because it had a positive term. So was, where did that begin, and how did it morph into what we interpret today as as something ugly?
1: Yeah, 1560 was when it was uh, first introduced. It's a Middle Dutch origin, uh, means lover. Uh, so I bully you meant I love you, or come meet my bullies means come meet my loved ones. Uh, Shakespeare used it uh, in his writings. Um And it continued to, uh, remain a term of affection, uh, for a couple hundred years. Um, and it eventually morphed to more what you would say to your, your best friend. That's a guy. Hey, that's my bully. That's, that's my buddy. Uh, about 120 or so years ago at the turn of the 20th century. Uh, it was used in America as a good, the word good. Teddy Roosevelt, look up his speeches. You'll see bully, bully or good bully for you. Good for you. Uh, he called the white house a bully pulpit. Maybe you've heard it called that today. Uh, it doesn't mean to inflict pain on other people. It actually, a bully pulpit meant the greatest platform to do the most good. Hmm. It's a platform of benevolence. It's charity. Again, going back to the word love, charity is like a, the equivalent to agapeo in Greek, which means benevolent love or love in action without strings attached. It was Dan Oveas in Norway uh, in the 70s, late 70s, early 80s, who decided to uh, understand childhood aggression on campus. And he was commissioned by the government to do research.
0: By the Norwegian and, uh, government.
1: Right, right, right. And uh, and he he decided to... Uh, call it mobbing, the the aggressive behavior. Mobbing was more of like a group dynamic, uh, like you see uh, a group of animals mobbing another new animal in in the group. And so he decided, what word do I use? And and I think at that time the word started uh, to be related, at least in other parts of the world, towards pimps as a bully who who uh, who is related to love in the sense of sexual pleasure but he, he kind of dominates his, his, the prostitutes that he's over. And so he says, yeah, it's kind of like a dominating hierarchical bully and, and forever. We adopted that. So that's the history of the word. Uh, but the history of the movement began in 1999 after the Columbine shooting, Eric Harrison, Dylan Klebold, they, they really started two movements. Uh, the reaction of the, the American culture was how can we help children not be victimized where they turn into shooters? and help them not to be victimized where they might turn them guns on themselves, not just on other people. So I think in America, the anti-bullying movement was motivated to avoid school shootings and suicides. But uh, what I believe it did is actually increased shootings, uh, both homicides and suicides. Why? Because it it, it actually cultivates a victim behavior. Uh, when you tell a child, their whole ch- the childhood, that no one has a right to be mean to you, It's bullying and if you have any bullying problems, you tell the authorities and they're going to punish your perpetrator to the full extent of the law and we will write laws and we will ensure that you have a conflict-free school environment. This is a school that needs to be kind. Well, you inadvertently, sociologists like to call it the law of unintended negative consequences, you inadvertently create a victim culture and a victim culture is very aggressive because the worst acts of violence are actually committed by victims. And so we've seen an increase in aggression on campus because of the anti-bullying movement that had good intentions, but uh, the road to hell is paved with those.
0: Mm.
1: If a parent is thinking, okay, give me one
0: thing I can do to help my child avoid that feeling of imbalance of power or having other kids who are trying to inflict pain upon them or avoiding that repeat offense. I heard you say, help them build resilience. So give our parents a, a well. The, well, The
1: way resilience is built is through education. And it's knowing why you're having a problem and how to stop the problem or how to solve the problem. We do it in reading, we do it in writing, we do it in arithmetic, but we fail to do it in relationships. There are psychological elements at work in the conflict your child is facing. And that's why I always ask three questions to a child and the problem solved. The first one is, what happened? Keep it in its proper size. Did they say something, do something, say something about you, do something without you? What happened? And then I ask, why do you think they did that? And there's only four reasons why anyone does anything aggressive. These are the elements that are irrefutable. They either are trying to bother you, they're trying to joke with you, they're hurt by you, or they're criticizing you. If you can understand the motivation behind the aggression, Then you understand the third level is how do you respond? And so sometimes it's a combination of the four. They're hurt by you, so they're criticizing you to make a joke about you in order to bother you. But there there are simple solutions to these four categories of motivations behind the aggression. If they're trying to bother you, the solution is don't be bothered. (laughs) And Izzy Kalman would put it this way. If they're mean to you and you get upset, Do you feel like a winner or loser? Well, I feel like a loser. And when you feel like a loser, how do they feel like a winner or loser? Well, they feel like a winner. That's right. Do you want them to win every time they play this game with you? No. Do you want to keep losing? No. Then don't get upset. If you don't get upset when they're mean to you, do you feel like a winner or loser? I guess I feel like a winner. And how do they feel? Well, they feel like a loser. That's right. The bothering motivation is a game that they're playing. They want to dominate you. They want to have power over you, power to upset you. And when you don't get upset, they lose. And this is the classic sibling rivalry. Typically, sibling rivalry exists on this uh, in this element. There's usually one child in the home that is easily bothered, and there's another child who loves to bother. And in there lies the toxicity. So the parent says, Well, what's the solution for this? Do I moralize with the kid who loves to bother? Yeah, good luck with that. When people discover power over others, they don't give it back. They don't give it up. So what do you do? You help the child who's easily bothered understand that it's a game. And and you're playing in losing mode. You're getting upset. If you would start playing the game in winning mode where you're not getting upset, the game will end and you will win. So that's what most of my videos show online is how to throw off the aggressor, the botherer, the dominator, throw them off their game. Of course, the other three areas are if they're joking with you, uh, you know, learn to laugh if they're hurt by you, learn to apologize. Are you mad at me? I'm sorry about that. If they're criticizing them, thank them, learn to thank them. So again, how do we help a child deal with difficult people at school? Well, you have to understand, you know, what happened why the person did it. So you'll know how to respond. Don't be bothered. Brush it off. Take and make a joke about yourself. Laugh it off. Um, Apologize because they're hurt by you or thank them for the criticism. It just might help you improve. And if it doesn't, it's okay. Learn to take, learn to take criticism, even if it's unfounded and mean-spirited. So that's it. The only time we need to go a little deeper Mm -hmm. is when a kid is still hurt by the thing. And he says, yes, I understand that laws that govern it. They're trying to bother me. I get upset. And if I would just stop getting upset, then they would stop bothering me. I get it. But you know what? I'm still hurt. Well, I have a thing for that. I usually ask three questions. Well, how could this have been worse? Why won't this matter in your future? And how could this turn out for your good? And if I could help you understand that the worst thing that ever happened, you can actually turn out to be the best thing for you. You will learn how to emerge out of pain. And actually leverage this adversity for your own psychological growth which is my personal definition of resilience this is actually for your good and uh, and these are the things I teach they're all wrapped up in raise them uh, social related emotional resilience and uh, I just I, I can't stop talking about it it helps so many people and I hear so many good things from it
0: raise them strong.com is there a monthly mailing list. Do you have videos on YouTube? How do parents learn more in addition to Raising Them Strong.com?
1: Yeah, they can follow me on all socials, of course, at Brooks Gibbs.
0: And that's um, Brooks, B-R-O-O-K-S, Gibbs, G-I-B-B-S, Brooks Gibbs.
1: Yeah. And if they're if if they're one of these types of parents that likes to learn in depth, like certification type learning, I have uh, several in-depth Courses that they could go. I call it squabbles.com squabbles, S Q U A B B L E S, squabbles. It's my preferred term over bullying. Um, And there's a six hour training for my certification program, how to help children through this process. There's also a four hour training going deep into the squabbles elements. And there's also a whole library of videos. But Raise Them Strong is typically where I send parents clinicians or educators that are professionals working with kids, I usually send them to squabbles.com. I love that your podcast is called Raise Them Ready because obviously Raise Them Strong is uh, is my brand. And that ultimately I think is a good thing to keep in mind that our goal is not to solve our children's problems for them. Our goal is to teach them how to solve it on their own. So the idea of raising them with these competencies, are critical, and then to model them so you're not a hypocrite.
0: Brooks Gibbs, thank you very much for spending time with us today. I know parents are going to really appreciate this, and I'm sure I'm going to hear a lot about it. So uh, we'll have to talk again in the near future.
1: Well, thanks for having me. Keep up the great work, man.
0: You too. Thanks, Brooks. Parents, thanks for listening to this episode of the Raising Them Ready podcast. To learn more about practical ways to teach your child about the life skills and personal resilience they need to successfully lunch in life, be sure to pick up a copy of the Raising Them Ready book. Also, check out our other best selling life skills books for tweens, teens, young adults, and personal development titles for parents, educators, and mentors. To learn more about booking me for an upcoming speaking engagement, parent enrichment, or professional development workshop, You can contact me through our social media pages or email me through our website. You can find, like, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Raising Them Ready Podcasts. And the website is RaisingThemReady.com. Also, please follow and leave us up to a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast. If you have questions about this episode, comments, or suggestions about parenting topics you'd like us to bring to the Raising Them Ready Podcast, I really want to hear from you. Simply contact me through our social media pages or website. Again, it's easy to find us on Facebook and Instagram at Raising Them Ready Podcast and online at RaisingThemReady.com. Thanks again for joining me and Dr. Brooks Gibbs in today's discussion about raising confident, capable, and kind kids who use resilience education as their solution to bullying prevention. Now, parents, go and enjoy the day. Knowing your child's greatness tomorrow begins with your guidance today.